0: Hello, welcome back to the keys coach podcast my name's adam and this is the podcast where i sit down with piano keys and synth players and talk about their life in music today's guest is the wonderful tony Briscoe. Tony is an amazing keys player, producer, songwriter and composer. He has worked with many different artists including Craig David, Mark Hill, Beverly Knight. He scored music for David Attenborough documentaries and he's also just developed an amazing app called Cordio, which is a powerful composition and music theory tool. In this conversation, we chat about so many different things. Tony talks about how learning keys opened up many doors in the music industry. We chat about how we came to be a co-writer on the hit song Rewind by Craig David. We talk about the art of collaboration, and we even chat about AI and how this is going to change the music industry. I work with Tony a lot, and he is such a lovely guy and full of so much great advice for anyone learning piano or wanting to get into music production or the music industry. Before we dive into the conversation, if you're looking to level up your keys playing and are interested in hearing more about the keys coach as we continue to grow, I've put a link to sign up to our waitlist in the episode description. This will mean you'll be the first to know as soon as new content is released. We've got lots of exciting plans for the future. Okay, let's get to it. Here is the conversation I had with the awesome Tony Briscoe. Tony, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for coming on the uh, podcast. You're welcome. I know you've been super busy. You've, and you've just been in the US, right, as well?
1: That's right. Yeah, I just got back from Florida, which was really nice. It was 35 degrees there, which oh, uh, was a bit of a sauna, but yeah. um, it was very restful. It was really nice.
0: So that was a, that was a holiday, was it? Yeah, it was a holiday, although oh, nice. I was tempted
1: to do some uh, music projects, but I stayed away from that. I just yeah. needed a good break.
0: I think the secret is not to take the laptop.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's... Although I
0: did, I couldn't help myself. I know. It's difficult, isn't it? That's lovely. I, love, I haven't <laughs> been to Florida for like years and years and years. And what what part of Florida were you in?
1: So two parts, actually. My dad lives in Orlando and my oh, brother nice. lives near Miami, which is quite nice. But we did a bit of swimming. It was really good.
0: Did you do the whole Disney thing as well? I but no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's good. Um, Well, yeah, thanks so much for coming on. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you today. Um, For everyone listening to the podcast, Tony and I do work at at the same place, so we know each other quite well, but we haven't ever really actually sat down and just had like a proper chat about music, so that's what I'm super excited about doing today. Me too. and I know you I know you do a huge amount of stuff for everyone listening. Like Tony has just worked with so many different people. Craig David, Beverly Knight, The Artful Dodge, you've done music for TV. And I'd love to just chat about all of that stuff and how it all how it all came about, really. Because you're obviously a keys player. And that's how you that's got right. into music initially. And it's obviously taken you to all these different kind of places and different projects. So how did you get into keys and playing piano initially?
1: That's a really good question. And um I thought about this a while back actually, because everything kind of happened by accident, to be honest. I mean, it was just following my passion. Right. Um, it, I started very late. So it's when I went to university to study something completely different, no music. It was just my curiosity in mathematical physics. I was doing that and uh, my housemates, they all played instruments, uh, musical instruments. So I then, you know, used to be like a bit of a roadie, used to go out and watch them and uh, had a lot of fun doing that. But then in my second year, I thought, you know what, it'd be great to like, uh, you know, have some fun and just try to play an instrument. Now to rewind a little bit, my dad has always been a record producer. So he knew Bob Marley and Eddie Grant back in the 70s. Oh, man. And little did I know as a kid growing up at home, you know, listening to reggae music all the time, that some of that stuff would rub off on me. and. so so yeah so was, got into my second year at uni and then um, ended up uh, saying you know what I'm going to learn to play an instrument so I thought the bass would be the easiest one because it had few few strings yeah, uh, but yeah. I loved the bass so as soon as I got on, into it I just fell in love with the bass and then uh, started that for a while and um, got into a band for the first time thought hey this is great you know and um, but then after that when I graduated. I then uh, went off to America uh, to, to visit some friends and family out there. And then I heard a piano player playing out there on the radio named Harry Connick Jr. We could pick up on that later. Oh, of if course. You yeah, yeah, yeah. But he played with a, a bass player called Ron, named Ron Carter. Mm. And it was just those two playing. And it just blew my mind. When I heard that, I thought, as soon as I come back to the UK, I'm going to learn how to play this piano. And uh, so luckily uh, I was still at Southampton University and then there was some jazz workshops going on there. Um, as usual, I sort of dived in head first, you know, not realizing how much work it would really take to learn this, <laughs> this instrument. But yeah. uh, I did that. But there's a great uh, pianist there called Radin Verno. And he taught jazz piano, you know, jazz piano and just jazz in general to everybody in a super fun way, in a collective way. And that's how I learned, you know, I picked up things bit by bit, but it was the instrument I felt the most comfortable with for some reason. It was the one, it, it just felt logical, just looking at a piano and just looking at the notes the way they ordered in a linear way. Perhaps it's my ma- math background, which helped me uh, understand it quicker, you know?
0: Well, yeah, people have always said that there's like a, a link between maths and music. I've never managed to find out what that is. I'm not a mathsy kind of person myself, <laughs> but um they always say that there's a link. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I literally have no idea whether there is or not. To be honest,
1: well, I thought about that too because um, I a lot of the physics physicists I followed, you know, while I studied mathematical physics, like Einstein, obviously. Yeah. There's another guy named Richard Feynman. You know, he was the bongo player during the Los Alamos project. You know, you, you'll see him actually maybe in the Oppenheimer film. But uh, a lot of physics uh, people, they they also are fond of musical instruments. But I think it's patterns. Um, Adam, you know, we mathematicians are very good at spotting shapes and patterns, yeah. uh, so to speak, seeing kind of how things are related to each other. And in many ways, music, the music theory is like this, I think. Yeah, someone plays a pattern and then you say, oh, you know, I can maybe take that chunk and invert it or play it backwards or whatever, you know. So I'm sure Bach was maybe a,
0: a mathematician and he's... <laughs> Into his math. Yeah, I bet yeah. he was. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. So you you... you- were primarily self-taught then on the keys, apart from a few kind of pointers here and there from different people, you kind of taught yourself or did you, Absolutely. I mean, how did that work?
1: Just taught myself, Adam. And this was before awesome. the time of having the lovely YouTube these days. I know, that, that's,
0: that's like, I, I'm, I'm trying to work out because now I think when people say they're self-taught, if they're learning now, you, you automatically think, okay, they learn through YouTube or they learn through online platforms, whatever that is. But the idea of being self-taught before all that stuff I mean, how does that work? Are you listening to records and copying it? What sort of stuff were you doing?
1: Yeah, um, it was really hard, Adam, because jazz, what I found before, before I found these workshops is that it was almost like a, a secret formula, you know, it was like a dark right. art of yeah. some kind of form. Nobody would tell you anything about jazz and how to play chords or things like that. You know, it was almost hidden as if, you know, no, 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 you're not allowed to learn this kind of thing. Yeah. And I was curious. So I went to the bookshops, obviously there's Tottenham Court Road in London, you know, in the middle of London, that was the kind of a place, a central place where you can find books, books on it, you know, before the internet, you know, so had all these tools and, um, And then I found these workshops and that's really what kind of opened it up for me, just realising that uh, it's kind of a collective thing and you could sort of learn with other people and just pick up things. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot down to good teaching. You know, some people say that it's quite difficult to pick up, but I think it's, I think if you do it in a communal way, you can pick these things up quite easily.
0: So you obviously had like a really good ear for that kind of stuff. Is that something you've always kind of gravitated towards learning by ear and that kind of thing?
1: Uh yeah, but my ear I would say developed over time because I remember when I first uh started to play the instrument, yeah, my brother, for example, would say, "Tell me what you're doing, you know it's awful, you know? <laughs> I like, right. but I was so persistent, and it's really funny you to say that because I'm a believer that the ears do develop over time it's It's like a computer machine learning type of thing where, you know, you come back a year later and you suddenly listen back and think, you know I can easily hear that and I can easily find the notes. But rewinding the time when I started, I would struggle just to find the notes I was looking for, you know.
0: It's also like a muscle as well, isn't it? Because the more you do it, more regularly you do it the better you are and then if you don't do it for a little while you know it's really interesting i I've, I, I think you know i've certainly found that if i have like a, a job where i'm having to transcribe loads of things all in one go if it's for an arrangement or something or for an ab, whatever i'm doing i get really quick at it but then suddenly you don't do it for a while and it's like oh you know it's quite a heavy lift to get <laughs> to get it all back going again you know
1: absolutely but you you mentioned something there transcribing and i think that is key as well because um, over time, when I got playing in bands, that's something I did quite a lot. You know, just listening, like you said, to records over and over again, but then trying to pick out the intermediary parts inside, you know, because when a piano is often playing as an ensemble, you can't always hear first time all the parts, but over time it gets easier.
0: And when you, when you say transcribe, what kind of thing were you, were you writing things out or were you literally just playing... The recording and then copying it on the piano was because transcribe means different things to different people
1: yeah that's a really good point there and um i can talk about that on many different levels one as a yeah. music producer as well as maybe a musician as well but certainly when i was playing in let's say inverted commas pop bands Um, I was just more interested in the chords. So it wasn't very specific, like what kind of shapes you would play with these chords or anything. If you're playing a C minor, it was up to you how you wanted to, 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 to play that one. So I would literally get a piece of paper out And literally just put the letters and the, you know, whether it's a minor with a small M or what have you. And just do it that way in the first instance. And then over time, it got a little bit more, especially later on when I was playing some Steely Dan type stuff. That, uh, Mm. oh, I better play the specific kind of chord shapes for this, you know.
0: So obviously you're kind of developing your skills, got your good ears. How did you start getting your first gigs? Because I know you did a huge amount of gigs in those kind of days.
1: That's right. Well, (laughs) it's a bit of a funny story behind that because... Um, a year after I did these workshops, I Met well, I was in Southampton at this point, studying my PhD for again, you know, just acoustics, something not related really to to mu- musicianship.
0: And, and that's a big sort shout out to Southampton, by the way, because we're from similar neck of the woods, right? Oh, Southampton, yes, that's yeah, because right. I'm from Portsmouth. <laughs> so there's there's famous rivalry, right, between Southampton oh, and Portsmouth, but obviously there, not, there here, is not indeed here. <laughs> there, there is indeed. And now we're <laughs> yeah. relegated. I think we're yeah, just you know, doing yeah. even more,
1: more fighting in that manner. Um, yeah, so where was I? So, yeah, so in, while I was still in Southampton, I bumped into this player, this this saxophonist player, really talented guy named Paul Young, not the Mm. not the other Paul Young, but the uh, saxophonist Paul Young, and phenomenal musician. But he was looking for a piano player, and after after these workshops, I just said to him, "Now, I just finished some workshops. I'm still working on things." Um, So he said, "Oh, would you like a gig?" I said, "Well, I'm not sure if I'm ready yet." But he says, "Well, we've got one booked next week." (laughs) You know, so, so here's here's the stuff to learn, and he shoved me this thing called a real book, which had all you know all the kind of chords for different songs in there. And then we just it was like a baptism of fire, Adam. We just yeah. got there, and then he started to play. Drummer was there, drum, bass player was there, and then suddenly I just found myself just back in this band, but learning stuff very fast. You know, going through chord changes with uh, through the real book. It was manic but fun at the same time.
0: I think that's the best way to learn, though, isn't it? To be thrown in at the deep end with stuff like that. I think, I think that's the way you really learn and really realise actually what you need to get together.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, to be honest, <laughs> had I known in hindsight, I would have said, no, I wouldn't <laughs> want to play at this. But it no, was the it best thing. Good. It was really the best thing. I mean, that really got me started. And almost like a segue to that, that's also what linked me into the music industry. Uh, little did I know that knowing these kind of skills, knowing how to hear chords from records, knowing how to play things very quickly on the fly, um, opened up another door when I then got introduced to a couple of artists in Southampton.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that. So Craig David, he's obviously a really famous artist from Southampton who you worked with. So was this around a similar sort of time or was this a bit later? That was around about the
1: same time, Adam. Okay. So the, the interesting thing there is that uh, through, a, through another friend, this lady, she knew a couple of 14-year-old kids, one named yeah. Craig David and, and another one called Aaron Stoll. And um, these kids were like, uh, you know, kind of almost like rivals at school, you know, right. you sort of okay. bounce off each other. They kind of half rat, but they also half sing. And, um, you know, this lady said, you know, Tony, they they need a mentor. You know, can you maybe mentor these these guys? They're only 14, but, um, you know, see what you can do. So I invited them around my place and uh, we literally, for four years, just had jam sessions. <laughs> you know, they would rap <laughs> over chord changes I would do, even like the jazz chord changes. Yeah. And they would sing over them and they were very instinctive. And it was just a lot of fun, like Charlie Parker with Dizzy Gillespie in the room, you know, <laughs> sort of jam with yeah. Lonely Monk on piano. It was <laughs> just like that kind of thing, you know. It yeah, was so yeah, much yeah. fun.
0: That sounds so good. Oh, man. the i I just sort of picturing that now you sort of... Uh jamming with them that's so cool so how did how did that how did that relationship develop because obviously you went on to then write with craig how did that all work
1: that's right so that was interesting so um while i was doing all this jamming i then introduced them to a guy another friend of mine called mark hill and he had a recording studio in a in a place called ocean village you might know of that place yeah in i do handsome. know it, yeah and uh, so i would separately work with mark in that studio and we would work on ideas because, again, um, me and him, we were like musicians kind of trying to figure out how to produce music. Yeah, We we got involved with some DJs and then suddenly, you know, we, we realised, oh, making records is good fun. Um, and so at that same time, I introduced Craig to those guys, uh, to Mark Hill. And um, from that, Mark and uh, Craig had a lovely collective and they ended up making a lot of Craig's first album. And while I was involved in that, I was also involved with Craig making some stuff as well. So then that mm-hmm. all kind of then manifested itself in a track we were all involved with called Rewind,
0: which yeah, we had no idea so it was going to be a big yeah. break. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that track now is... I, I wanted to ask you about that track because that track now is... I think it's still famous even if you didn't grow up with that song. <laughs> Do you know? What I mean? yeah. It's one of those songs that just everyone everyone knows. And it's like it must be so amazing to have been a part of that. Um yeah, in- incredible. I think it's such a great track as well.
1: It was bizarre, Adam, because again, we have to realise it was kind of the early stages of the internet there. So there wasn't much going on online at the time. Yeah. So the way this was done is that we released uh white labels. So literally, you you had to get like records pressed, and what Mark and the Artful Dodger guys did with that record was to get a few pressed on vinyl and then give it to DJs, selected DJs, just to see what was going to happen. They were like the tastemakers. And then I remember once I was with Craig in um, where were we? Camden Market, and we were just sort of wandering around, you know, doing the usual shopping around for some clothes and stuff. And then randomly hearing cars, people in their cars playing this rewind track. And thought we looked at each other after a while and thought, what's going on here? This is kind of bizarre. And that's where you start to realise that there's something about this track, which, uh, which is capturing the imagination of people. And yeah. it's really interesting with music because you could make a thousand tracks out of them and you just got no idea which one's the ones that's going to resonate with the audience.
0: I was watching a few uh, like Twitch streams with Disclosure. I don't know if you know. Oh, uh, they're one of my favorite. Uh, They've they've got all these incredible like live streams that they did where they're actually just talking through their production process. And they said for this latest album they did, they had like maybe 50 tracks or something like that that they'd written. And they produced up like 50 tracks, but actually only, you know, however many it is made onto the album. And I just think that's such an interesting thing. But you don't obviously knows when <laughs> know when you're choosing those tracks, which ones are the ones that are going to be the ones that just really kind of hit, you know.
1: Absolutely. And a bizarre thing about that rewind track as well, it, it came across fortuitously in the sense that the first version of it, um, I think, you know, and, and they could tell you the story better. I think they had a crash on their hard drive and so they had to rebuild the track. And so the track was in one particular way, but then I w- went into the studio with a completely different song Mm -hmm. And then Craig overheard that completely different song and thought, that's the bit in in the middle section where the track breaks down into a half-time, that's the bit would work. And he kept on saying, Tony, we have to have this bit in the song. (laughs) and so we that song was kind of like again a jam together of two songs if you like and that then that was the first time that had happened in 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 that kind of high speed garage music that you broke down into a half time section
0: oh man that's so cool so cool that you were involved in that were you actually recording in studios for this kind of project or, or like the home studio thing really kind of taken off by then
1: Yeah, so the home studio was just about taking off at that time. And still things were very expensive, very difficult to set up as well, uh, very awkward. But in many ways, it was um, an opportunity to be creative with that. Uh, So the kind of tools we were using back then was one called Studio Vision, which is no longer around. Right. Um, But I think some of the aspects of just that even DAW software tool enabled us to work very quickly within this site of genre.
0: So how did you learn those skills then as well? Because I know production is like such a huge part of what you do and you actually teach that now at um, Trinity Lum where we both work and that's kind of all the students find your lessons like hugely inspiring. How did you, you. how did you initially learn all that stuff? Because again, it was probably before YouTube. Was it just a case of try it out, see what happens? Did you take the kind of like jazz approach you did with the piano?
1: Again, Adam, it was learned by
0: doing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, That, so, so, It was interesting,
1: again, threading all through through the keyboard, actually opening up the door. So it was really the keyboard which enabled me to to mentor people like Craig and and others. But then also I got involved in another project while I was in London, going back and forth to London. And that was with a bunch of people working with Jamelia and others. And again, they they found a keyboard player who could listen to records and and somehow nick the chords from one record and put it onto another. So that was me at the time. So I was then finding myself in so many studios Um, being that guy to pick out the chords, but not only that, but then over time I was picking out the sounds and what kind of modules came from this. So I was getting a bit super geeky at them. So I know what like a DX7 sound would be, you know, what patches to use for that or the JV uh, 1080s and all of that kind of stuff. So that I didn't realise at that time, those were super useful skills to get behind a wall of a recording studio. And then while I was there, I would pick up all the kind of skills of what an engineer would do, because I was keeping an eye on them, thinking, oh, you know what, that's interesting that they, they are tracking these vocals, you know, several times and then panning it that way and then doing this layer and doing that layer. And then over time, I found myself becoming that, that guy, you know, that producer.
0: It's amazing what you pick up, though. I always do that whenever I do studio projects. I just constantly watch what the engineer is doing because you pick up so much stuff, just little things, because they're obviously doing that every single day, day in, day out, and you just notice stuffs on Logic or Pro Tools or whatever it is they're using. Yeah, and like I'm just like, oh, that, that's how oh, that's that's gonna totally speed up my process if I do it like that. I've always gone back and like simple things like. That's where I first discovered the whole like in logic the whole uh, the whole like takes feature. I'd never yeah. actually used that. I just always created new tracks. You know, there's just these little shortcuts that you can pick up just by watching people that you don't that you don't always realize if you're just at home doing it on your own. That's so cool. So what other stuff? How were you just finding that your name was getting passed around different people and how, you know, yeah, you must have found yeah. yourself in loads of different, interesting environments.
1: Absolutely. And then the other thing that then completely opened the door, remember I said that uh, I mentored these two guys. So there's Craig and there was this other guy. So this other guy, Aaron Sol, he disappeared for a little while. And then when he, when Craig suddenly came big, he gave me a phone call and says, Tony, could you help us out now? You know, so could you help yeah. us with this? And so we made a quick little demo, me and this other guy, and um, we put some of that together and sent it off to the record labels. And we didn't think we were going to get much interest because it was very hard at that time to get much listen. But I think what resonated to those labels at the time, that it was this kind of new breed of music called garage music, UK garage at the time. And suddenly we got signed very quickly on the back of those demos, Adam. And, um, So they flew us to America. They, uh, they, you know, they they gave us a massive deal behind this and says, right, we want you to create an album, you know, uh, from from all this stuff. And we released the first single called Ring, Ring, Ring. That got into the top 10, as got to about top uh, 14 in the charts at the time and um, did really well. But then, unfortunately, the artist didn't work out. You know, he had other problems going on in his life at the time and like many, many other uh, things happened in, in the world. You know, it, this this thing didn't work out. But luckily for me, while I was doing that album, um, that raised my profile and, and I started to get basically call- phone calls from other directions. So that's how the Beverly Knight project at that time also came about.
0: Yeah, I mean, t- let's, let's talk about that because I, I love Beverly Knight. I think she's got an incredible, absolutely incredible voice. I've seen her perform several times. She's a phenomenal
1: artist. I saw her phenomenal. once, I
0: think, at the Palladium with like a massive like one of those big kind of orchestral BBC Radio 2 type night things. It was absolutely wicked. And I've seen her in a few musicals as well. So, so what was your collaboration with Beverly Knight?
1: Oh, that's great. So um, I think it was around 2001 I got that call. because My managers knew, knew them as well, knew her, and um, said, yeah, it'd be great if you could work on her album. She was working on an album called Who I Am at that time. And she had written quite a few songs in Nashville uh, which is like the mecca of songwriters. Of course, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So she wrote uh, this particular song called Shoulda, Woulda, Coulda with a great Nashville writer called Craig Wiseman. And uh, she played it to me. And it was a really slow kind of uh, beautiful ballad. And um, I thought to myself, this is a great song, you know, what can I, I can't do anything to this. Yeah. But apparently the record label at the time, they they insisted that they kind of wanted to make this radio friendly. So they, they, they kind of wanted us to do all kinds of things. So they gave me a, a brief. And this is what normally happens when you're music producing. You know? They give you a brief and then you're supposed to go away and work on that. But at that time, that brief for me sounded a bit pear shaped. To be honest, you know, they wanted it to sound like a kind of Timberland vibe, you know, really kind of crazy and mixed. And I thought I couldn't I couldn't see it working. So at that time I was working on another album and I thought, you know what, I'm going to pass on this one. You know, they can pass it on to someone else. They passed it on someone else. And after about a month later, it didn't work out. So they came back to me and says, Tony, could you, you know, please, can you, <laughs> can you, can you really try, try to do it? So yeah, I imagine. said, well, can I, can I maybe, uh you know, sort of respect this brief, you know? So, so they said, yeah, yeah, go for it. You know, just try out this way. So at that time I, I collaborated with another producer, a guy named Mike Spencer, and we had a, so much fun together. So what I did with that song is sped it up a little bit, and then sketched out a rough guitar part. So I'm not really a proper good guitar player, but um, thanks to the bass, I was able still to play a, a rough guitar it. part. Yeah, exactly. So sped it up, put some guitar on there, and, um, and then it's just a proof of concept to see if it would work. And we've, we've, we listened to it back and thought, yeah, you know what? This could, could actually work. So then we got some session musicians in, and the magic really happened with Jomera guitar player called Rob Harris. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I brought him in to replace my guitar parts. And as soon as he did that, I thought, you know what? This is going to work. It's going to yeah. be a phenomenal song. So we um, we got the backing track in place. And then Beverly Knight, she heard it again. And at first, she, she had a bit of doubts about it because it was faster than the original ballad. Um, but she's such a phenomenal artist. She just went into the uh, vocal booth and literally just on the second take, that's the version you're hearing on a record now. Wow phenomenal song, phenomenal performance.
0: You've obviously collaborated with so many different people. Um what do you think are the skills needed in order to be a really good collaborator? Cuz it's a hard thing collaboration, isn't it? Especially particularly with people you don't know and you're just meeting for the first time. So 100%. Yeah, what are those skills you think you need?
1: Wow. Um I think first and foremost is communication. Good good skills in communicating, empathy, putting right. yourself in someone else's position. Um, I had the good fortune a few years ago when I was in Switzerland, because my sister had a place there, uh, meeting Quincy Jones. And what I noticed about him is that after two minutes of talking to him, you already feel like you're a relative. (laughs) He's got this way about him to make you feel so calm, so much at ease. And I realised that that is one of the key qualities if you're going to collaborate or even be a music producer or, or whatever you're working on in the music industry. Because as you know, it's quite vulnerable. You know, When you're playing an instrument, especially the voice, it's the most innocent, most naked thing you could do in mm. a way. And you need that kind of trust. You need that kind of empathy around the people you work with. And if you've got a really nice vibe going on where everybody feels free to try out different ideas without any kind of feeling that someone's going to criticize them. That's when the magic can really happen, I think.
0: I completely agree. People just have to feel comfortable, don't they, I think, in the space where you're writing. I think when people feel comfortable, they feel confident to share ideas. I think sometimes as well, you know, you don't want to feel like any of your ideas are going to be judged. If you create that really sort of safe space, then people are just way more likely to kind of contribute, you know.
1: Absolutely. I think it's it's interesting that we use the word when we're jamming, we use the word play, And it's a bit like children playing in a playground in a way where you're innocently trying out these things falling over, you know, and and some music producers, we even call it the lab, you know, where we're constantly Mm. experimenting. But as long as we've got that safe space, we feel like we can experiment. It's when that magic can happen potentially.
0: Absolutely. And I know you've also done a lot of music for TV as well and that kind of thing. How does that vary from producing kind of tracks with artists?
1: Oh God. Uh, that's 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 completely different in many ways now. I mean, um the, the break for me, which came through TV, was being in Bristol at the time. So I moved to from Southampton to Bristol in the end. And um, that's a lovely place. But what I didn't realize until I got there, it's really the heart of where the BBC wildlife is. Right. And um again, you know, I got into that um kind of serendipitously in the in the fact that um There was a competition with these wildlife programs. They they are sort of key type of um composers which normally compose for that kind of stuff. But I think the, the, the general public at that time in Bristol was were kind of complaining, saying, you know, that what they should do is open it up to other composers. So in Bristol they set a competition out and um my missus she she nagged me and says, Tony, you should enter this competition. I thought, no, I, I hate entering competitions. I do not want to do that. But she goes, no, 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 you should, you know. So I I put in some modern beats and in inverted commas as 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 my nominee. And miraculously I was one of those who was shortlisted to to get a project with the BBC as a kind of as a kind of trial thing but at that time it was great because I got um paired up with uh, a music producer um, sorry a program producer who, who worked with David Attenborough and he said oh, you know Tony I really like the stuff you're doing you know if you if something came about in the future would you be interested and I said yeah yeah fine and six months later, I got a call from him saying, "Yeah, this project with David Attenborough has come about. Um, would you like to, to to be part of it?" I said, "Absolutely." So again, yeah. it was like he, a baton. He's like king
0: of wildlife, isn't he? I absolutely love all of his shows. So it's like if you get if you're doing wildlife documentaries and you get a call to work with David Attenborough, that's like that must be the the sort of Oscars the
1: Oscars of it. Absolutely. Well, 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 he's like. It's, it's funny because whenever you hear his voice because when you're composing music, you, 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 we've got this kind of temp track, as it were. But when you hear Attenborough's voice on the microphone, it's like hearing a singer, you know, a really world class singer really, um, on on your track. But this 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 was great. I mean, um, doing music was again, a baptism of fire like that because I then had to do a lot of research about how to do this kind of thing. But I used Logic. Logic was pretty advanced at that point where you were able to drag and drop um, a lot of uh, images on the screen. And then I was able then to use my knowledge by that time of all the kind of chord theories and stuff like that to organically find my way around how to to compose for this kind of music.
0: Amazing. Did you find yourself having to move into like a different sound space for that?
1: Yeah. And, and, the, and the beautiful thing about that, Adam, is that you what i found i started to listen to a whole lot of other stuff you know classical um stuff from um, panama you know just because completely music from all around the world just to get a sense of what could fit that particular image piece and so that's what i really like about writing to to either videos or still images is that it sometimes takes you outside completely outside your comfort zone And you have to explore instruments and and sounds that uh, are not normally common in maybe a pop music track
0: it's just fascinating that the the piano has taken you to those different places you know learning the piano has actually meant that you're you're now producing all these different things and, and working on these different projects but it all came from that initially just trying to work out chords on the piano and that kind of stuff i think that's one of the really great things the piano is one of those like a bit like you said at the beginning it's one of the most versatile instruments, isn't it? I think because you've got complete control over the, the, like the harmony, the groove, you know, if you're, you, can, you, you can create a piece of music that sounds full just on the piano. And I think that's it's one phenomenal. of the great things about it. I think everyone should learn a bit of piano Agreed. if you're learning any kind of, if you're doing any kind of music, it really, Absolutely really helps. Agree. I think the same thing about the guitar as well, actually.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, I absolutely agree with the the, the the piano because I see the piano as both a harmonic and a percussive instrument. Yeah. Um, even when I was studying salsa piano, I found that a lot of of the great salsa pianos actually started off being drummers, kind of Congos, you know, percussionists, yeah, exactly, yeah, and then moving on to that kind of thing. People like Eddie Palmieri and and others. So, so this thing called a piano for me became the portal uh, into the music industry. And it's the thing we often still use to get ideas into the DAWs as well. So it's, it's, I've found just, just learning, even just the rudiments to be so useful to get your ideas out into the box really.
0: Hi, it's Adam here. I just want to quickly interrupt the podcast to ask you a very small favor. If you're getting lots of value from these conversations and want to stay up to date with all our latest episodes, please do subscribe to The Keys Coach wherever you get your podcasts. This means that you can continue to hear these great conversations and you'll be notified each time a new episode comes out. And if you're feeling even more generous, please do consider leaving us a review. This helps others to discover the podcast and join this community. Thank you so much for your support. Hit that subscribe button. Let's get back to the conversation. I know like your the amount of music you listen to you just listen to so much different music and you got such eclectic taste and I, I know you're always recommending me different things whenever I see you and all that kind of stuff it'd be really cool if you could tell the listener a little bit about some of the music that you like and maybe just recommend a few things because I'm going to put a Spotify playlist link to all of these different uh, like your, your top tracks and top artists so yeah who are, oh, fantastic. Who are, your, who are your kind of massive inspirations?
1: Oh, well, the ones I'm feeling at the moment is definitely Kate Trinada, who's doing it on the kind of pop stroke uh, trap scene. He's some of the harmonic ideas, just the way he matches the European sound of house music with the American uh, trap music. There's no one quite doing it the way he's doing it at the moment. So yeah. a big shout out to him um, in terms of keyboard players. I've been. Uh, inspired by so many so we mentioned the harry connick junior link earlier on but i definitely want to be a big shout out to Ahmed jamal Uh, there's a piece called i love music unfortunately Ahmed jamal just uh, left us uh i think it was uh, like this year or just early yeah exactly just recently but phenomenal phenomenal musicians which has left us with great music herbie hancock which everybody always talks about he's uh affected so many but me too Uh, there's a couple of tracks i would like to shout out with him Uh, one is wandishi there's a track called ostianato it's a seven eight track uh phenomenal one and then obviously the cha-cha one with uh jaco pastores i really love love he's playing the other thing i used to do as well is play salsa music and uh, i used to play in this 15-piece band and we played at glastonbury for three years in a row there in this band but it was it's super super fun we used to play in one of the kind of tents around the corner and everybody used to dance to this kind of Cuban you all music.
0: like the like montunos and things like that absolutely
1: like... and Adam it's 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 a great if you're going to learn piano I, I would highly recommend people learning a bit of salsa just because of the fact that when you' got when you're playing on top of a bass player the bass player is playing a tumbao pattern yeah. which is kind of in threes and then you're playing what's called a montuno pattern, and then that's that's not in three. Mm. And then and then to gel together, it really really encourages you to just to feel the music rather than to count yeah, the yeah, music, yeah. which is uh, is a great thing. But one of my great favorites of salsa music is Papa Luca. He's one of those greats. Uh, either Papa Luca or uh, Eddie Palmieri; those are my two favorites. Nice. And then I'll just run through a couple more uh, for you. So Keith Jarrett. How could you go without saying Q in, yeah. in your your tracks? And for me, one of the masters has got to be Bud Powell. You know, yeah. um, even Bill Evans said Bud Powell was one of these you know phenomenal favorites. And obviously, Bill Evans is one of my favorites. Um, one more, actually, and this is uh, Robert Glasper. And the reason why I mention him is because he's fusing quite nicely some of the the sounds of hip hop through Jay Dillis kind of swing mm. into his musicianship and his jazz music and i think that's really nice in the way yeah. he's kind of taken it forward so that's having influences on people like cory henry and many others who are some awesome. of my other favorites oh man so that, that sounds awesome. like
0: such a good uh such a good playlist i'm gonna i'm gonna put a link down in the description to that how uh how do you think the music industry has kind of changed um because obviously you've seen it like coming in obviously you learn without the internet You then kind of had the evolution of the whole home recording thing. Like how, and and now we're in a completely different space altogether with kind of social media and all these different things. How has it? How has it changed? Do you think what have been the big monumental changes over the? Oh, that's a really great question.
1: I. It's, it's interesting looking back on it, like you said, because I, I do feel a bit of a dinosaur that I've been around for quite a long time. Oh, I no, man. got You're into it. So. so I feel a little bit like Forrest Gump, you know, watching this <laughs> time machine go by yeah. from the days of really doing it the old-fashioned way where you had to get a whole bunch of musicians in. And then in the very early days, I was around when the um doing it on Cubase, where even that was called Notator before, where there was no audio. We did everything through MIDI. And then you had to somehow synchronize that with the tape. And that was miraculous and good fun at the time. And we learned a lot of things doing it that way. And then when a sampler came into play and started to do it, it changed music. So, yeah, it's changed phenomenally, Adam. Um, I would say some of the biggest differences is the democratization of a lot of this. So... In the early days, it was the the expense of a lot of the equipment would prohibit a lot of talented people from doing this kind of thing. Whereas nowadays, you can practically do stuff even on your phone. So if you have a good idea, you could just do it on on a device you have with you all the time. Um, the 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 thing which I think hasn't really uh, necessarily has improved is the fact that it's so easy to do, and there's a lot of things you can just grab off the. Internet, if you like, and put into your song, it's kind of not challenging. Sometimes it doesn't challenge people, I think, enough to try out and experiment with things because you can get get lock, stock, and two barrels stuff, and then just put it into your song very easily. So, unfortunately, I think that is making the distribution space where if we go out and look for music, we find a whole pile of stuff, which is very generic because a lot of people might have just taken stuff off the shelf. But then in and amongst that, you have some super talent who are really using that richness out there. And due to the democratisation of all of that, you've got, you can find some gems like Kate Arjo I mentioned and, mm. and others who are kind of like DJs, but they're also musicians at the same time and, and yeah. doing amazing things, you know. I often think if Bach was living today, what, what kind of music he would be doing with all this stuff around, you know?
0: I know. It's is, it is weird when you think about that, isn't it? It's like these people, like, I guess Miles Davis changed as as the industry was changing around him and tastes were changing around him. It does make you think, like, what would, you know, there's just so much out there that you can, you can sort of get ideas from and people that you can now collaborate with. I think Instagram's massively changed that as well, that you can yeah. actually now collaborate and i think i mean it's become a really big thing on tiktok the whole duet thing but Mm -hmm. the idea that you can now put out a (laughs) a, into the ether a, a track where you're collaborating with an artist if they've put something up and you're and you can actually then post that And they might see that i mean that just never would have happened probably before i don't quite know how that would have happened back in the day
1: absolutely absolutely and it's interesting you mentioned that as well because um all through the history you can say of music it's been affected by the medium it's been propagated by so for example when it got onto record because the early day records were so difficult to press you know the music on there it forced people to, to only have the music in about three minutes long or three and a half minutes. Yeah. And, and then that kind of set the standard within a lot of pop music that it had to be of that length, but it was because of the media at the time. And now you're, you know, you fast forward that into TikTok world and maybe now you've got to capture attention within the first 20 seconds. So let's have yeah. a song about that long, you know? Yeah. So yeah, the music industry Interestingly, has found found it the most when it's come to disruptions from this technology. It has changed so much. It always seems to be music first, and then that ripples down to other mediums like films and video games and stuff like that.
0: Are you Are you worried about AI? Do you think that's going to be having a huge impact on the music industry? I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Oh God, you, you I could talk for ages about this, <laughs> as you know. <laughs> yeah. Um in in a nutshell. In two ways. So one is that for creatives, it's a great opportunity to create magic because we've often seen now that technology has helped leverage people uh, to to create incredible music. You can you can argue that the electric guitar, when that came about, some people were thinking, "What is this? You know, what what's going on? You know, you're ruining things." But you listen to Jimi Hendrix or you know uh, other great guitarists, and they have they have really embraced it and become created great music so in the same way I think with this AI stuff it could be a great assistance to really leverage some of your ideas but then on the other hand it could be abused I think one thing we've got to be very careful about is the ethics of this stuff you know who's it taking stuff from you know Mm -hmm. and uh, who's it might replace as well so we've got to be very careful in terms of some of the damage it can do, because at the moment we're seeing things like the Drake clones, you know, <laughs> using seeing um, other kind of clones of records. But then you can argue the bottom line is if somebody really likes it and we like it, who's to know whether or who even even cares if it's coming from a human or not, you know, because if we're the consumer and we really like something, does that really matter?
0: Do you use any AI at the moment? Has AI made it into your kind of like the way you live your life yet? For instance, I'll give you an example. I use ChatGPT a lot now. (laughs) And in fact, it's got to a point where I've, I've, I now sometimes will go to ChatGPT rather than I'll go to Google. And I think one of the great things about it, I think anyone who thinks that AI will just do the whole thing. I think what AI does with things like ChatGPT is it means that you never have to start with a blank page.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's great for coming up with initial it's ideas. It's great
0: for coming up with initial ideas and and like I was saying to you, I just did I just did these two these two books. And sometimes you sit when you're when you're doing a project like that, you have to just sit in front of a page and all of the ideas have to generate from your head. And actually just to have something there that can just uh propel you a bit forward and give you an idea that then sparks you off on another journey is it makes all the difference, you know? So Absolutely. I think Absolutely. It's, 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 you're so right. It's about the abuse of it. And it's about when people use it completely on its own. I mean, do you think there'll be a time when an entire film score will be written by AI? I think
1: already, it already is here. There is a saying by William Gibson says the future is already here, but not evenly distributed. And right. so in some parts of the world now, if you go to Silicon Valley or, or others, there are tools out there, we already are using, which can be built completely with AI. But it, I, I think one of the things it might help us ask the question is, is what is it all for, you know, when we're listening to music and all of that? And for me, a lot of music is relational. You know, it's like, how do you feel about it? You know, when you're playing it and you go out and see someone of life, how you feel, it's very community driven. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the bit you can't really replace with with AI. It may be able to over time be able to simulate really really good music but I think the thing what we have with this music is something very personal is when we share it Mm. when we're out there sharing it together that shared experience absolutely that's through consciousness it's through empathy that's the stuff I think what can't be replaced by these kind of things
0: you're so right I I mean a few months ago I was I was sat I was sat um, at my friend's house and we were watching Glastonbury uh, and Elton John was obviously doing his like big headline show. And, you know, the camera was panning out and all of this stuff. And you got all these millions of people there or thousands of people, however many people. And it was, I, only that day I just read an article that was all about the music industry's doomed. And, you know, there's going to be no songwriters and no, all this kind of stuff. And I was thinking to myself... AI is never going to replace all of those people sitting, watching, in a field together, experiencing Alton John doing maybe one of his last UK shows, written so many amazing songs that are just part of all of our, kind of, our you know, the music we know. So, Absolutely. yeah, so I, I think, think that's so the right.
1: bit That's the bit to recognise. I think everybody, I, I really do think, all of the young, younger generation, they're going to leverage all of this stuff to make better music. And then the talent will still come out from that. To make even better music so if you're talented and you're using some of these tools which are out there they're going to make you even better but if you're not talented it's not necessarily it is it just might just help you just make generic stuff which is already out there at the moment um, but some of the tools i use um, i've been using these kind of tools for a long time so within the production world we've been using a lot of these a lot so tools like some of the isotope stuff which helps us mix tracks because sometimes mixing a track can be very tedious uh, to make it sound like, you know, a record, your demo to make it sound like a record. Are you Are talking about Rx there? Um, Rx, um, there is Nexus, there are um, Tonal Rebalance, there are so many tools out there, which kind of gives you suggestions and hints based on what you're already doing.
0: That's mad. I and- didn't realise, because I use Rx. I've been using RS when, Rx when I edit this podcast, but I didn't realise that was, maybe I did, I I didn't quite realise that was AI that was doing that. People, yeah know, so this sounds a, a bit stupid now i'm saying that
1: no there's a talk called tonal balance which is part of the isotope pack or bundle if you like and what you do there it's like let's suppose you've got a demo track you've made and then you want to kind of mix it so you start off mixing you're thinking you know what this is still not great but <laughs> you want to put it out there quickly on maybe on spotify or something like that so then you could say right okay I've got this album which I really like, Steely Down album. I'm going to put this inside the AI, and the AI is going to can then tell me what kind of balance should I can I put on my master track and my mix? And it will the AI would suggest that you should have your bass up there. You know, you should turn down the treble down there, and it will give you suggestions. And if you're in that kind of bandwidth, it's really quickly giving you a ballpark of where to head to. So it's like a, it's like a kind of like a automated car. You know, you're not completely self-driving, but you're assisted by this driving.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I guess I, I mean, I, I sort of use that stuff, and I've actually used the tone, of, the tonal balance one, um, but I sort of just, I just didn't realise that was AI that was doing that. That goes back exactly to your point earlier on when you just said the future is already here <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, is i'm already using the... it and i don't realize it's ai you know it's like am well, i is ai so part so of your life the, you the, the,
1: the the thing about all of this which uh one of the takeaways adam is that this thing is is so insidious that it's going to be in everything we look around in and so even though we're not even going to think we're using ai even when we're talking now over this zoom there's some ai use for the noise cancellation going on So if you didn't have that AI in place, you'll get a lot of feedback from your own signal. So even things like that, you know, these tiny little things are being um, tweaked by a bit of AI. Uh, But we call it AI, but it's really machine learning, really. I mean, you know, AI is a catch-all term, but um, it's just machine learning. So it's not the Terminators type of stuff.
0: No, 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 no. Yeah. The robots aren't quite here yet. Well, maybe they are. <laughs> maybe yeah. you're a robot. I don't know. But that's <laughs> your fact. No to, to,
1: um, one of the things also, I'm, uh, I've been using various apps as well for composition. You can yeah. spur ideas as well. So there used to be one called, um, I, I've forgotten, it's gone out of my head now. But there's various apps out there in which you can, put some chords in, and then it will kind of shuffle it. It's like putting it into a into a little mm. bag and just little shuffling blender, these yeah. chords. Yeah, a little blender and then coming out with a bunch of others. So there's a bunch of apps like that. And so it can, again, spur ideas, especially if you're in a rut where you're always playing a G minor and in a D minor or something like that, you know. So that's, I think, another opportunity to use these things to um, come up with new ideas as well. Yeah,
0: help you get out of familiar patterns that you may find yourself in. I should say to everyone listening, um, Tony is Mister Tech. <laughs> He's the <laughs> the only person that doesn't get sort of phased by any kind of technical issue that happens either in the studio or in a working environment. I've 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 been there and I've been stressing out trying to work out what cable plugs in where and you know and Tony's just like cool as a cucumber. And this has sort of lent itself into you actually creating your own app, which sort of is is one step even further than just using, you know, that's like coding, that's all that kind of stuff. So how did you get into all of that? I think that's incredible that you've made this this app Cordio.
1: Oh, thank you, Adam. Um, yeah, I'll have to rewind the clock again actually, yeah. to, to how I got started. But again, in a similar way to how I learned how to play the piano, I learned how to code in a similar way. Um It was during a time in the music business where it took a dive. So everybody, what some people remember, around about 2006, where Napster came into play, you know, some yeah. of the other downloading things. And the music industry really took a massive hit at that point. And so many people lost their jobs. Uh, They were trying to restructure the music industry, all of that. And then at that time, I decided to go into a bit of teaching, you know, diversify my my experience, really, and to make sure that, you know, I've always got something to pay the bills with. Because as as glamorous as the music industry might seem, it doesn't always pay the bills. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But. Uh, at one point then, I was then also working for, working for Apple, you know, sort of evangelizing uh, teaching logic at that time. And I remember one point where the, the, the program crashed and I thought, I wonder what this means, you know, because it came up with some, some terms and some code and I thought, well, oh, that's interesting. All the time I've been using logic and I never knew how, you know, this thing even works. So I yeah. got curious at the time. So literally went back to school you know, literally right. uh, online in this case. So I found a YouTube video series by this 17-year-old kid who taught <laughs> me how to code. Can you believe that's it, mad, Adam? It's
0: isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Bad. It's mad.
1: It's, it's, this is a beautiful thing. I mean, on YouTube now, you know, you could find some geniuses, some just super teachers who are able to teach you stuff. And so this little guy called Bucky... He broke down the fundamental of coding for me. And I thought, ah, this is great now, you know, so I'm going to now enroll on this course. So then I enrolled on a a course to learn how to program for the iPhone at that time. It was a Stanford University course, but I didn't read the small print because it was free to join. But the small print meant that you had to have taken this other course prior to that to um, to really (laughs) understand the next phase. And so when I got into this course and started to, Follow along. I had no idea what was going on, and Adam, I felt really stupid. It was just you awful. jumped into it again. That's
0: good. There's a theme I jumped into in the there. deep end again, <laughs> yeah. exactly.
1: But I persisted and got through that, and then that helped me get a job oh. and uh, into coding. And then to fast forward from that, uh, they got headhunted for this company who were looking for people who were both coders and music had a musical kind of uh, background. And so I joined them and then we ended up as a team making apps for Walt Disney, uh, the first iPad app, which was uh, the Elements app as well. It was an incredible company with just a handful of people making these incredible incredible apps at the time and I I, again I was in a deep end I was just a junior developer at the time and these geniuses were around me making all this wonderful stuff and I realized Adam it was just like music (laughs) you know we were all jamming in a room yeah like artists all these engineers were literally like artists and we were just experimenting in that lab again playing yeah playing and so fast forwarding then to the present time or almost the present time to the lockdown during the lockdown when I was teaching um, I found it very frustrating to try to teach online I was looking around for all kinds of tools to see how I could teach uh, the keyboards and just music theory online to other students and realised that there's a kind of A bit of a gap but the other thing was as well and this segues back to what we were talking about earlier about finding those lovely chord gems in a song yeah yeah, yeah. I always used to note them down on a piece of paper and I thought wouldn't it be nice to have a little app I could just quickly sketch down the chords of my favorite sections and just keep it there with the right voices as well so I can use later so I decided during the lockdown time when nobody was allowed to go out you know in London that right this is a perfect time I can sit down and and sketch I can write this code for this kind of app called Chordio. Wicked. And that's what happened.
0: Oh, man, I've checked it out and you show, I've, I've had a few demos by you as well. It looks absolutely incredible. So you just want to explain to the Thank listener you. exactly kind of what it does. And I'm going to put a link to it down in the episode description so you can go and check it out.
1: Oh, thanks, Adam. Yeah, so the app is uh, essentially an app for any kind of musicians, anyone who's interested in learning music theory or want to learn a bit of piano, And what's nice about it is as soon as you open it up, uh, you can just connect it to your MIDI keyboard and play a chord. Now, even if you don't know what that chord is, the name of that chord will come up on the app, which is really nice. And then if you tap on that chord, it will automatically save that chord in a little kind of chord block cell. And then you can then start quite easily, if you're a music producer or just a novice, start putting all these random chords together to create a chord sequence. And there you go, that's Chordio in a box. But there's a bit more to it than that. I mean, if you want to get deeper into knowing how the the scales are related to chords and things like that, then there's a a section where you can learn all the scales and practice the scales along with that. And then there's also more deeper stuff to learn about music theory. So all of that is inside Chordio.
0: Oh man, that sounds wicked. It sounds really, really good. And then we're going to have to have a separate chat as well, because I'm going to be doing some... Very shortly, going to be doing some YouTube tutorials on on keys, and I think um, I think we could definitely hook up and do some cool stuff with the app and. You oh, know, great. Using it for the uh, using it for the visuals, I think it'd be amazing because it's got such a nice interface as well. And it works on the iPad as well, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, that's good. Yes, yeah, so it works on both the Mac, the iPad, on the iPhone as well. So I've got the iPhone version out there. Yeah. And it's doing quite well. It seems to be um, resonating now. And I've, I've yeah. left the market. I've done no marketing on it yet. So you're the first no. person really to, to oh, talk man. about it. You heard it and, first. And the you heard it first,
0: everyone. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. But organically, it's already picking up quite an audience in America, which is brilliant. really nice.
0: So oh, this, I'm so pleased, this. Tony. It's so good because I think it's I think it's brilliant to put stuff out there. You know, and it's obviously you put so much music out there over over the time. But to put something out there that's also going to help other people make that music and. You know, improve their production and their, their understanding of music theory, and just help them. I love the idea of having like a little, a little box with all your favorite chords and all your favorite chord shapes. I think that's great
1: yeah I, I i i'm always using it now for that you know i've got a whole bag of stuff in there and it's just great when you want to later either use it for yourself or just share it with somebody else as well i, I think it's really useful or you might play that funky kind of steely dan kind of chord i really wanted to know about and i could you could share it with me now through this yeah app. yeah it's yeah well
0: it's been really really great chatting what um I'd like, I always ask everyone who comes on the podcast and what, what's kind of what's kind of coming up in the future for you? What, what kind of things do you want to what is there something you haven't done yet that you're like, oh, my God, I'd love to do that.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So definitely want to get back into producing again in the studio. I've got a whole bunch of really beautiful artists who want to get back in the room. And one of the things I like the most is pairing artists from different kind of cultures and different styles and then trying to come up with something fairly new from that. And it reminds me of a project I did a little while back where some Senegalese musicians were working with some Spanish musicians and some American musicians. And the sort of stuff which was just coming out organically from that was just incredible. So I definitely want to do more of that kind of stuff.
0: Amazing. And where, where can people go and check out your stuff? Obviously, I'll put a link to Cordio in the uh, description, but are there, are there any kind of places people can go and check out your music?
1: Uh, yeah, so you can go to tonybrisco.com as well. There's um, some stuff there you can find. Um Amazing. Well, thanks, Adam. That's that's
0: fantastic. Tony, it's been such a pleasure, pleasure chatting. And it's so it's so it's been so nice just to sit down and hear about like all of the different things you've done because you never really get a chance to do that day to day, just sit down for an hour and hear about all those different things. So thanks so much for coming on. Adam,
1: I think what you're doing here is is fantastic and you know, you're a phenomenal musician and just having another musician interviewing other musicians like this it's it's a great gift to the world as well
0: oh cheers man i hugely appreciate that thank you i'm gonna put a uh, spotify playlist link to all those artists you just mentioned um oh, thank you so people can go and check it out like tony briscoe's uh, top artist to listen to that'll be wicked and thanks so much for coming on
1: oh you're welcome adam it's been a pleasure thank you very much
0: thanks so much to Tony for coming on the podcast. What a great guy and so much great advice. Do go and check out all those links in the description, particularly the Spotify playlist. Go check out his website and do go and check out that app, Cordio. Thank you so much for listening. We have lots of other awesome guests coming up for you. So do remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and I will see you in the next episode.